Timothy chapter 3. I need somebody to get that for me and uh, volunteer to read it. Somebody would like to do that, uh, Noel Tossing. And then I need someone to get for me John 4, verse 24, uh, Dennis Keppel. And so uh, this is the second in our series. I'm doing a series for those of you who are visiting on 10 megatrends in the religious world. Uh, in December, the Lord spoke to me about 10 things that were very prominent uh, in the religious world. They're making incursions into our fellowship and into our church that we have to deal with. Uh, these are religious megatrends. It's not just some side issue. These things are mainstream, and they are coming full bore in the religious world. And we uh, must prepare ourselves. We must arm ourselves. We must know what the Word of God has to say. In the book of Second Timothy, there's a prophecy, and uh, this is the Apostle Paul. He's prophesying about the days in which we live, and it's very interesting, uh, some statements that he makes, because several of these uh, can be attributed to, or the subjects we're going to study about will give insight. And so I'd like for uh, uh, you to read that uh, uh, out loud for me, if you'll do that. Second uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Uh, it was it Noel? As you had that, okay. And know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. All right, this is a, a prophecy concerning the ending of the age. It's not an uh, ending of time, but the ending of the age as we know it. Men will be lucky, will turn away. All right, uh, it would be like you're uh, listening to the news or you were reading the newspaper, all the things that he uh, states there. Let me read that to you in another translation says, you may be quite sure that in the last days there are going to be some difficult times. People will be self-centered and grasping, boastful, arrogant, and rude, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, irreligious, heartless, and unappeasable. There will be slanders, profligates, savages, and enemies of everything that is good. They'll be treacherous and reckless and demented by pride, preferring their own pleasures to God. They will keep up the outward appearance of religion but will have rejected the inner power of it, have nothing to do with people like that. So we want to take this second uh, megatrend that we're uh, dealing with. There's a buzzword in our generation, that buzzword at the moment, and this changes from time to time, but at the moment, the big buzzword in our generation is the buzzword worship. Uh, there is uh, extensive emphasis uh, today on that, as I will give some quotes on through uh, the study, but uh, this involves long, drawn-out, extended music and liturgy in a service to attempt to trigger certain feelings, manifestations, or gifts. And the aim of uh, much of what passes for worship today is to produce a religious experience. That is the aim of a great deal of what's called worship today. So John 4, 24 uh, I preached a sermon two or three years ago on this, and this is a, uh, we'll, we'll reiterate just a point or two, but that's a very interesting statement uh, that Jesus makes. He's at the well, Jacob's well, in Nablus uh, today, Samaria then, and uh, as he's there, there's a woman from Samaria comes up to him, and a conversation ensues, and he makes a statement. This statement is in John 4:24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him 
in spirit and in truth. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the current trend because what we have today in the religious world is the deification of worship. Uh, we have uh, a number of articles. I have one article that says uh, uh, that worship, uh, now this is, listen to what I'm saying, worship will be the vehicle for a new Reformation, Of course, they're referring back to the Reformation of, John, uh, of Martin Luther. And so that worship, this is, this, is a, this is a key or code word, is going to be a vehicle for a new uh, Reformation. Uh, I, have, uh, I have one uh, advertisement I clipped out. I've got a number of uh, articles today. This little advertisement is in a Christian magazine. And uh, this Christian magazine is the fourth annual Fireworks in the Heavenlies International Worship Conference. All right, so let's, let's get it here. Now, we're going to worship, and we're going to release. It's going to be like a rocket show. It's going to be Fireworks in the Heavenlies. So you get this imagery, and uh, this is actually the fourth international tambourine and dance conference. We also have a wide selection of resource materials available for tambourine, dance, and flag. So uh, you know where that's going. So this is very interesting uh, because uh, what we have here is the tendency or the it's actually a theology and a, uh, uh, a, a conviction that this is the be-all and the end-all of religion. And so it's predictable when you lock your theology into that kind of a mindset that worship, worship is absolutely the be-all and the end-all of religious service, that uh, that men will begin to uh, have certain convictions. I uh, clipped this article out of a, uh, a Christian magazine. It's called Radical Worship. Uh, bear, bear with me as I read this. It says, My friend Mike Bickle did something strange last fall. He resigned from pastoring his successful 2,500-member Metro Fellowship in Kansas City and turned the church over to a trusted colleague. Then he started a worship and prayer service that has been running 24 hours a day without a break since September 1999. Mike has no plans to end this unusual gathering, which involves two dozen full-time musicians, along with at least 20 singers and intercessors, who raise their own financial support so they can pray full-time. It costs a minimum of $45,000 a month to keep this project going. Musicians take shifts so they can eat, rest, and spend time with their families. But at any given moment, a team of prayer warriors, singers, and instrumentalists are ministering to God, just like the Levite priest did in the tabernacle of David. Mike believes this kind of continuous worship will soon be the norm, and he says it will be a key to releasing spiritual revival on a global scale. All right, this is, you could already predict this where this is headed. So the author of this says, uh, you want to get into this, so go buy some worship CDs. Then go in a room by yourself, lock the door, and demonstrate your love for God in passionate ways. Remember, the Bible clearly sanctions exuberant worship. It calls us to sing, shout, clap, raise our hands, dance, kneel, and lie prostrate on the floor to show our appreciation for Jesus, uh, God's most priceless gift. I read that. I thought of poor uh, John on the Isle of Patmos. He's working in the salt mines. He has no worship team. has no CDs. He has nothing. He just has God. I don't see how he ever could expect to get any revelation from God and to release uh, the 21 chapters of Revelation, which is the most fantastic book ever been written, without the help of worship. 
See, when you think through some of the uh, insanity of this, but it's predictable. Uh, here's some articles uh, that uh, I quote for you. Beyond the Worship Wars, this is one article. Beyond Style Wars, uh, Recovering the Substance of Worship. Another, Navigating the Rapids of Change. Another, The Fallacy of Getting Something Out of, uh, uh, out of Worship. And uh, these are all articles out of a magazine. And you'll see uh, in many uh, churches advertise now, they'll advertise traditional worship services and then contemporary worship services. So there's a tremendous uh, uh, emphasis on this, and this is the current trend. All right, I want to emphasize with you, uh, before we get some scriptures, the uh, mistake uh, that we make. And there's a notable emphasis that comes here. And uh, the, this emphasis is very plain when you begin to think through it, is that any activity, any kind of noise, any kind of procedure is worship. And we uh, quoted already the Fourth International Tambourine and, and Dance Conference. Uh, here's another very interesting little article, and uh, this out of Major Christian Magazine. This is a Christian drummers, percussionists, unite across the globe in prayer and praise. This is an England-based Psalm Drummers is helping praise musicians discover the rhythms of the Holy Spirit. It's the first international conference for Psalm Drummers. Psalm Drummers, okay. And so uh, a few excerpts. People were shouting out their worship, some crying on their knees, others with arms raised, still others either furiously pounding their drums or gently tapping out a pattern of prayer with drum, rain, stick, or shake. Sound like Prescott College, doesn't it? So at their monthly meetings and annual conferences, drums are used in prayer and prophecy. At their monthly meetings, drums are used in prayer and prophecy. Now, this means nothing to you folks because you've been sheltered here in, uh, in uh, this little hick town. And so you don't know that. But this is, this is actually happening in the church world. I know years ago I was in a, in a service, and so this, uh, they had a prophecy on the saxophone. And so this guy, you know, cranks this out. And so uh, everybody waits for a while, and then pretty soon comes the interpretation. Sorry, you're off in left field. Uh, one musician struggling with particular issues found himself surrounded by the sound of drums as his fellow players beat their instruments in intercession. Beat their instruments in intercession. There's not one fabric of imagination of Scripture that would ever justify that. You often in a, in a, in a swamp. It started with a specific dream. When ace drummer Terrell Bryant was touring with highly popular Celtic band Iona in October of 1994. Here's one, uh, uh, one participant. I had a strong sense of the lightning of God, one woman said. In my experience, many times prayer is not verbal, but nonverbal. Neither will you find that in the Bible. Finding expression in movement or sound. There's your theology. This is where you're going. Tonight, it was as if the various beats and rhythms with the prayers going out all over the place and hitting the target. Historically, the drummer has the role of uniting and encouraging, said Bryant. He stands at the front of the battle while others fight with weapons. He carries on drumming while the troops keep, uh, uh, while the troops, uh, uh, to keep the troops going at a time when their enthusiasm is failing. This is the religious world uh, uh, that we have. All right, some crucial insight we want to get uh, here uh, right at this point. And uh, much of what we call worship is gratification of, uh, of senses. It's in the soulish realm. 
Uh, it has to do with the visual. It has to do with a smell. It has to do with harmonious musical sounds. Uh, it brings religious feelings. Uh, it, it produces an atmosphere and their actions uh, that are interpreted as the presence of God or an experience with God. Uh, let me read you another quote. Uh, says, listen to your feelings. Now, this, these are all, this is all religious material I'm reading from. Listen to your feelings. Listen to your highest thoughts. Listen to your experience. Whenever any one of these differs from what you've been told by your teachers or read in your books, forget the words. Words are the least reliable purveyor of truth. Now, this is the swamp that the religious world is staggering through. You see what you, you see what the issue is, and uh, we have. A, I've got a quote from Watchman Nee. He wrote this over sixty years ago. He says they eagerly admire the word of the Lord, but seek knowledge only to satisfy the aspiration of their mind. They're reluctant to wait upon God for His revelation in due course. Their quest for the presence of God, for the consciousness of His mercy and nearness, is not for God's sake, but for their happiness. By so doing, they're not loving the Lord; rather, they're loving the feeling which refreshes them and affords them the glory of the third heaven. Their total life and labor elevate self as the center. They wish to enjoy themselves. And finally, uh, A.W. Tozer, who uh, says the tragic results of this spirit are all about us. Shallow lives, hollow religious philosophies, the preponderance of the element of fun in gospel meetings, the glorification of men, trust in religious externalities, quasi-religious fellowships, salesmanship methods, the mistaking of dynamic personality for the power of the Spirit, these and such as these are the symptoms of a deep and serious malady of the soul. So I want somebody to get for me John 4, 22 through 26. Uh, uh, we got that, uh, the same person who got that before. If you get that for me, we want to go through that. Then I want John uh, 4... Uh, 20. Uh, we're going to move through some other scripture in a minute. Did somebody get John 4.20? Uh, uh, done. So uh, the idea that worship uh, should seek to meet people's needs, to meet them where they are, denies the very nature of worship, uh, one author said. John 4.22-26. Let's think through this uh, uh, text as it's, in its, uh, as, as it's in its original setting because this takes place at the well of Samaria. John 4.22-26. Dennis Keppel. You worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. The hour has come and now is when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit in spirit and truth. God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Who is called Christ. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, this woman was a part of the Samaritan. Jesus is down in what today, if you'll, it's in the part of the West Bank, it's called Nablus. And uh, she was a Samaritan, 
And the Samaritans were uh, people who had, uh, uh, after uh, Nebuchadnezzar stripped the land, they carried off in two, uh, in two uh, events. They carried off uh, most of the prominent people of the land. They resettled them with people from uh, Babylon and other places. They brought with them a mishmash of worship. In other words, this was a, uh, this was a, 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 a mixture of all kinds of worship. And a man named Sanballat, who you'll read about in the New Testament in Nehemiah, uh, had built a temple on top of the mountain right there uh, at, uh, 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 at Nablus or at Samaria. And this was a copy of the original that was in Jerusalem. Now, he did that for a reason, and that was to keep the people from going up to Jerusalem to worship. And, uh, and so here's this woman, and so there's, a, there's, a, there's an argument about where you need to worship. Yeah, do you need to worship at Jerusalem? And the, all the people around that region said, why do we need to go up there? We've got a perfect replica here. Uh, we've got an altar, and uh, there's no reason for us to go up to Jerusalem to worship. And so we can worship right here. And so the moment that Jesus brought conviction upon this woman... Uh, she's beginning to, uh, to uh, enter into this. She, she flees to her theology, and she says, uh, 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 You Jews say that we ought to worship at Jerusalem, uh, but our fathers worship on this mountain. And so immediately she, uh, she brings this in, and Jesus says to her, straightforward, without hesitation, he says, uh, You're worshiping, but you're not worshiping God. Now, how could he say that? I mean, that's pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? What right did he have to say, you're not worshiping God? Anybody want to venture a guess? Uh, Sean? And that was what way? At Jerusalem. He gave specific uh, command that at Jerusalem is where sacrifices would be made and they were doing this on the mountain of Samaria. And Jesus said, you're worshiping, but you don't know what you're worshiping. You're not worshiping God. Are you still with me? Okay, this has great bearing on what we're dealing with today because there's a strong tendency today to mood in Christianity, to uh, an atmosphere, uh, to an orchestration that is generally music-centered. And uh, there are variations of this, but the aim of this is to stimulate a pleasant experience and a religious gratification, and this can be very appealing to various facets of human nature, but it's not God. That's the essence of what we're dealing with. And remember, uh, I said that the trend today is to put precedence over, of worship over preaching. Now, we're going to bear that theme through, and we're going to move through, and I'm going to open it for questions just in a moment. Uh, over in Romania, uh, Richard Brooks says they're in, uh, in Brashov. Uh, there's a church. They're part of the uh, Pensacola Insanity. And so uh, at one point in their services, they were doing what they call spraying in the spirit. And that is that the preacher would shake a bottle of champagne and then spray it on the people. Out they went off them to the floor. So well, that sounds like insanity. But you see, all you have to do is lose the concept of what worship is all about and what it's for, and you will believe and do anything. All right. So uh, there's a mistake. One of the mistakes we make is we make a mistake that worship involves a holy place, uh, and that's the place where God is. John 4, verse 20. Read that out uh, uh, for me again. Don. 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that at Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Uh, here's another quote. It says, in an era driven by titanic movie spectaculars, it is tempting to pour increasing amounts of time, energy, and resources into programs, props, and places. If we're not careful, the staging rather than the audience, the sanctuary rather than the seeker, become the unintended end. Now, uh, the trend today, uh, there, there are various kinds of things which I'm going to spend time on. They've recreated. You noticed in, uh, in one of these, in, in Mike Bickle's thing, he wants to go back into the Old Testament, and he wants to bring this into uh, in that. They have recreated an altar, replica altar. These are prominent. They burn incense. They create an, uh, an atmosphere. They uh, do various kinds of things, uh, and uh, they're trying to reproduce uh, a religious atmosphere and reaching into that. I have another article that's very interesting. It says, because worship is so non-threatening. Now remember, I said that what the, the thing that's happening is that worship is, the, is, the, takes, is taking precedent. In other words, that's the main event. Worship is the main event. It is not something that leads to something else. This article says, because worship is so non-threatening, there's little possibility the unbeliever will be overcome by awe and confess God is really among you. Because we have little confidence in offering the only thing we have to offer, the ministry of Word uh, of God, we send the seeking soul away entertained but empty. Because we're afraid to offend and so want to help, we baptize pop psychology with a Bible verse or two rather than proclaim the timeless gospel, which alone is the power of God unto Salvation. So this brings us uh, uh, this uh, this morning uh, to the revelation that we really need. I want somebody to get for me in this section, Galatians five sixteen. Somebody get that for me is uh, Brian and it's David. Would you get for me uh, Isaiah six one through five and uh, it's Ralph. I want uh, Revelations one twelve through seventeen. We need to uh, focus in on the essence of worship. What is worship anyway? Is it noise? Is it physical actions? What is worship? And so we need to focus in on that because the Bible reveals to us that worship is a response to who God is as he's revealed in the scripture. This is what worship is. Our response, worship is a human response to who God is as he's revealed in scripture. Lock your mind in on that. You could, you'd be good to write that down somewhere because this is what the Word of God says that worship is. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is not walking six feet above the ground with a halo over your head, flapping your hands. That's not walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, very simply, is obedience to what God has revealed His will is. All right, Isaiah uh, 6, 1 through 5. We, uh, we will find in the Bible that engaging our spirit in response to truth about God is revealed in Jesus Christ is the key to understanding what worship's all about. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. All right, here's, uh, uh, here's uh, Scripture, and here's a revelation of God. Here is a human response to that, and this uh, will totally change your theology when you begin to grasp that. Let me say it again. Engaging our spirit in response to truth about God as revealed 
in Jesus Christ. One more scripture, Revelation 1, 12 through 17, and then we're going to open it for discussion. Here's John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He has a revelation of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay, is this, that's it, Sue 17. Okay, let me just open for, uh, uh, for a moment, see if we've got questions. I had some hands before and I didn't stop. Uh, this is worship, and uh, this is the essence of it. It has to do not with what we want. If you want to know what we want, read Exodus 32. We want golden calves and sex orgies. That's what our flesh calls for. doesn't go any further than that. Say, where's God? Say, we don't know. Moses went up into the mountain. We don't know what's happened to him. So they said to Aaron, uh, make us uh, some gods to worship. He makes a golden calf. They strip off naked. They worship the calf and have a sex orgy. That's human nature. Uh, unrefined. This is plain as it can get right out. And you won't get very far from God until you find that in human uh, personality and conduct. Okay. So let's, uh, uh, let's have some comments this morning and, and questions before we move on. The scripture that we just read... Uh, in uh, Revelations 1, we could go on for a week just talking about the details of all that's revealed there. The eyes that are a flame of fire. Uh, this is the gentle Jesus. This is the homosexual-looking picture that you see on uh, people's walls. Uh, look like a faggot. That's not Jesus. This is Jesus. It looks straight into your soul. Leaves you stripped bare with nothing to hide behind. Okay, so let's have some comment this morning. Uh, Stephanie? Last night they were up uh, on the square and uh, Stephanie's talking to three girls. And so, you know, it's a typical, you know, they're smoking and have spaghetti boob shirts down there. They're smoking, they have spaghetti shirts with their boobs almost bare. You know, this stuff, the whole I'm astonished. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> they just got saved. They're in drug rehab, so they just recently got saved. Repentance is a foreign word to them. This is not a part. They accepted Jesus. That's what they did. They did not repent from their sins. And so uh, I don't say nobody could get saved that way, but it's not even in their thinking that you have to turn from your sin. It's going to be a happy time. All your, all your dreams are going to be fulfilled, and you're going to be rich uh, and live happily ever after. That's the gospel that they've responded to. And they want, to, they want to get off the guilt trip. They want to get off the drugs, etc. But uh, they don't want to serve God, many of these. And so that does not bring lasting conference, I can tell you that. Is it Sean? Sean. You have been into this in your religious experience before you started coming here. Okay. Were you ever into it? Amen. You have seen this. That we were there to have fun. Worship God is interpreted as having a good time, generally uh, focused on entertainment of some kind. If it'll come through all of this, okay? Uh, uh, Sharon Walter. Belly dancing. Yeah, now we don't want no Jesus bleeding on a cross, but belly dancing, I mean, that appeals. How, how old is old? Is that what that was? I passed by yesterday, come from the post office. 
the celebration of activity, okay? And they're producing feelings and atmosphere. How many of you ever uh, uh, been to dance? Did you have feelings or did you have feelings? <laughs> How many of you ever dropped acid and had a, a, a spiritual experience? I see. Okay. How many of you ever saw things when you're stoned out of your gourd? Visions. I mean, so you see, what we're dealing with is we have to narrow down. You have to get down to uh, the nitty gritty uh, to begin to discover what this is all about. Jeff Brown. You sound to me like you go to one of those legalistic <laughs> churches where there's condemnation preaching. Somebody else? Uh, way back there. Uh, Larry, real loud for us. Mormon church, 18 years. Revelation of God as revealed in the scripture. That's our human response. All right, I want to, I'm going to open this up again. So uh, we need to do a little analysis as we move forward. And so uh, the question would be, uh, in light of the present trend, how long is it necessary, your, uh, your liturgy, before there's a proper preparation to receive the word of God? In our churches, we believe that, uh, that uh, preaching is the central focus. We're a preaching fellowship. That's what we are. Uh, God has ordained through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's going to be the main event. So how long uh, before we do that uh, is proper uh, to prepare us to receive the word of God? Say, well, I think, uh, I think 30 minutes. Uh, others will say, well, I think 45 minutes. So if, uh, if longer is always better, uh, why isn't eight hours better? You still following me? So we have to come to a conclusion of some kind, and it's imbalanced thinking that's led men like this Mike Bickle to his conclusion that uh, worship is the central focus. That is what is going to release, or what he calls worship, is going to release all that God wants to do. And uh, so 24 hours a day, seven days a week is the ultimate. I mean, that's the, the, you could already predict that. If this is what's going to bring it to pass, then let's get into it, and that's what he's done because of the imbalance of that. And I want to read you a few more uh, articles before I uh, move on from this. One of these is called The Wounded Dancer. Here's this lady says, we were terrified. Uh, she has a dream, and uh, Satan appeared in this dream. So he said, we were terrified, screaming and running in every direction. Then just as suddenly, a light zapped into the room, dispelling the darkness. In the dream, Janine saw Jesus, who told her, Teach the children to dance. Right, are you following me? Now, this is a religious experience. How could this be wrong? And Jesus appeared. So how could that be wrong? You're following us now. This is what's going on in the religious world. So, uh, two days after the dream, a woman in the church called and asked Janine, Can you teach my daughters uh, to uh, dance? And so uh, she did this. She said, The children tell me, I felt God while I was dancing says Janine, her face glowing. When you're worshiping the Lord and you're in his presence, how can there be pain? Uh, this is experiencing joy through the dance. 
says we wanted to give them away to know the presence of God through worship. This is the dancing. They were more willing to receive the word and enjoy dancing about God's goodness. Uh, they tasted the goodness of God and they wanted more, Janine said. So obviously these children are feeling something. Isn't this true? The problem is uh, you're not going to make a theology out of this. And if this theology is good, then cut the other stuff, the peripheral, and let's dance. Is that right? Here's another article, Religious Boredom, Springfield, Missouri. A woman recently uh, changed churches, so her former pastor inquired what had uh, induced her decision. Your church emphasizes evangelism and reaching out to the lost, she said. My new church emphasizes church services where they just let the Lord move and we have a good time. After further discussion, the pastor concluded that the departed parishioner didn't really want to be challenged by God's word. She wanted a church that pampered her for a few hours on Sunday morning, but ignored the millions dying without Jesus. She'd grown tired with people kneeling at the altars, repenting of sin, and finding Christ Sunday after Sunday. She wanted something more soothing, entertaining, and unpredictable. This woman, unfortunately, is not alone. Many have grown impatient with sermons and altar calls that challenge them to radical commitment. They'd rather not hear about discipleship and evangelism, prayer and fasting, and personal sacrifice. Consequently, they migrate to churches that guarantee an adrenaline rush and advertise feel-good messages. And whenever boredom and dissatisfaction set in, they merely move to the next church. Many today have embraced this self-engrossed religion that requires minimal obligation. They worship with hands raised, but do not extend a hand to a brother or sister. They speak in tongues, but do not rely on the Holy Spirit empowerment to share their faith. They say amen at all the right times, but seldom speak about Jesus in public. Their religion is all about them and meeting their needs. It's not about developing a deeper relationship with Jesus or helping others. If only they could realize that boredom and dissatisfaction stem from an unwillingness to serve Jesus by investing in the lives of believers and unbelievers, those who truly love the Lord find joy in being used by the Holy Spirit to touch people. They are not offended by sermons that remind them of their duty. And they never lose the thrill of seeing men and women and children come to Christ. Followers of Jesus seldom wrestle with boredom unless they see every person as another ministry opportunity because they see every person as another ministry opportunity. In addition, they know the difference between an adrenaline rush and the touch of the Holy Spirit. And an emotional high on Sunday can make them feel good for a day, but the touch of the Holy Spirit provides lasting comfort and empowers them to reach others for eternity. I have another. I'll read that to you. As you can see, I collect articles. Uh, all awakening begins with the return of a profound conviction of sin. That conviction may lead to excitement, even falling prostrate. But there is danger in making such activity the test of faith. Once the idea gains acceptance that the degree of the Spirit's work is to be measured by the strength of emotion, or that physical effects of any kind are proofs of God's action, then what is rightly called fanaticism is bound to follow. For those who embrace such beliefs will suppose that any check on emotion or on physical phenomena is tantamount to opposing the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'll leave that with you. I want to read you another one. Uh, The sentiment that nothing extraordinary is going on, that what is happening is a gathering of ordinary people enjoying the experience of community, a prominent quality 
of contemporary worship is sentimentality. Remember that. Which is, as C.S. Lewis puts it, an excess of emotion built on a false estimate of its object. Let me read you one more, and then I'll open for discussion. It says, Congregational singing often consists of empty, repetitive courses, which have taken the place of the old hymns of the faith. Phrases are repeated again and again, such as, We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We lift your name on high. We lift our hands. We exalt you, and so on and so forth. There's much uh, clapping and swaying to the catchy tune and beat, yet the congregation and the worship team seem oblivious to the fact that instead of truly praising and worshiping, they're merely singing words about praise and worship without mention, mentioning God's character qualities and deeds which evoke worship. Okay, let's open for a few minutes of discussion and question and uh, see where we go from there. Worship taking precedence over preaching. Where are we? Bear Montgomery. I, I, I lived in the Jesus movement in Los Angeles in the early 70s. Bear was a part of the Jesus movement in Los Angeles in the early 70s. So I was coming out of, because I was searching for something. Two services, he's searching for something, come out of alcohol and drugs. The first one was a Catholic in tongues. There a Catholic charismatic service, okay. They were dancing, they, you know, there was a lot of, and, I, and I'm sitting there like. Physical and verbal activity. Right. I'm sitting there and I'm watching, and then it was over. Okay. This was worship, all right. So, I started preaching. He preached the word of God. That's all he had to give. <laughs> and uh, the worship prepared my unsaved heart for something. Okay. And the guy, and Hector Calderon gave me the, the gospel. Okay. And uh, it's Barry Arp in the back. Real loud for us. So this is, this is, as I said before, this is mainstream Christianity. This is, this is the train coming down the track. If you're not aware of that, well, you don't understand what's happening in the religious world. And this is, uh, and the reason for that is this has become the, the mainstream of their theology, is that worship is the end-all, be-all, and that's what's going to accomplish everything. It'll relieve pain. Uh, it'll, uh, uh, you can recover from hemorrhoids. You can get a high. You can, everything is going to be accomplished by worship, and, uh, and, and you're missing God a million miles when you go into that jungle. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's hear from Dave. Pulpit led over congregation led, which generally means that, uh, that uh, whatever you feel like doing, you do it. It was a Jesus-only church, wasn't it? That's what it was. Okay. Uh, because I'm recognizing that that's leading a great deal of what's happening today in the church world is people who are Jesus-only orientated. Okay? Well, it's like drugs. Uh, because what you're really dealing with, if you want to be honest with it, is feel-good religion. We want to do what makes us feel good, and God's not really interested in us feeling good. He's really interested in us repenting from sin and getting right with Him. That's, that's, that's the essence of the whole thing. Uh, we could go on for hours. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. And next week we'll continue on with this. And uh, uh, we're going to worship in just a little while.